right, welcome to this edition of Irreligiosophy, the one true podcast, and the only podcast capable of inseminating a virgin immaculately. Yes, I've done it many times, seeing how my penis couldn't find them if it wanted to. Yeah, is it an immaculate conception if you don't break the hymen? <laughs> <laughs> well, judging uh, from my brother's case, where the doctor had to break the hymen of his wife when she was pregnant, I'm going to say that's how Jesus was conceived. Uh, yeah, that is uh, actually much more plausible than uh, the actual story that we'll get into. Thanks. First, let's go to some reviews. Well, before we get into the reviews, I actually want to bring up the top email of the week. Now, this actually comes from one of our listeners, Chris, and uh, going down, it states, Furthermore, I, I think you both should watch the amount of giggling and chortling that you do. In most of the world, laughing at your own jokes is considered to be bad form. The listeners can decide what they want to laugh at. You know, Chris, you're, you're absolutely right, and I think from here on out, we will reduce the levity we have around here. We will stop laughing at our own jokes, and for that, we have actually hired an audience to sit in and laugh at our jokes. Speaking of which, why did the chicken cross the road? I don't know. Because he had one leg? Excellent. All right. Can we move to the reviews now? Jesus. Yes. Yes. Let's move to the reviews because you're a dipshit. <laughs> All right. The first review we'd like to talk about is called Bastards. It says, You bastards, way to lose the podcast awards and after all I've done for you. Can you believe that? We lost the podcast awards to reasonable doubts. Well, I was expecting the Wiggly and Way to win, but, uh, you know, sometimes when you fuck with the time continuum there, you know, you, you just really mess things up. And you allow somebody such as reasonable doubts, geeks that they are, to win a completely useless award. I would like to congratulate reasonable doubts. Uh, they were the best skeptical podcast we reviewed, right? That's very true. In fact, I did like them, so... I agree. Yeah, in a backhanded sort of way. You thought that they were somewhat interesting while being extremely boring, I think was your exact quote. Yeah. Yeah, but that's better than the others. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't make any sense, but all right. All right, um, so moving on to Foxy McLovin. Well, wait a second. What? We got to mention our minor victory because Todd Cochrane was completely unable to pronounce irreligiosophy. Oh, me, that's very true, and you actually searched around and find the sound or found the sound file for it. I got it. Let's play it for you now. All right, moving on to religion and inspiration. The show's nominees were Almost Daily Devotional, Chariots of Iron, Dogma Free Radio, Irreal... How do you pronounce that? Irreligious philosophy or something to that effect? I Sorry I slaughtered it. I wonder if he realizes that the reason why we came up with that name is just so people couldn't pronounce it or find us on the internet through internet searches. It was then that I knew we had lost because I think he would have bothered to figure out how to pronounce our name had we actually won the podcast award. Yeah, yeah, well... Truth be told, I don't think half of our listeners can pronounce our name or even spell it by the the yes. search that go through to find our site. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I never knew you could spell irreligiosophy so many different ways. Carl Mamer of the uh, Conspiracy Skeptic Podcast pronounces it Sam. <laughs> 
By the way, that was on atheistnexus.org. Uh, our group is on there, Irreligiosophy. If you can figure out how to spell it, swing over to atheistnexus.org and sign up. And now that Charlie has blatantly plugged for something that he got off his fat ass to do, Woo-hoo! let's move on to Foxy McLovin. <laughs> now, uh, I like Foxy because uh, almost became a martyr for the One True Podcast. Basically, he hydroplaned the truck and rolled it, and the only reason he knew he wasn't dreaming was because he could hear Chuck's grating voice over his radio. <laughs> yes, I believe that's used in hospitals throughout the country to bring people out of comas. <laughs> <laughs> now, my favorite quote from Foxy McLovin is concerning our guest speaker from last week, Tall Penguin, and he asked if Tall Penguin was raised by our two gay penguins, and I believe that was a question we missed out on asking. Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> they were two gay Jehovah's Witness penguins. <laughs> and that's why they're shunning her and themselves. <laughs> All right. The last review is actually uh, the most recent review, and it is our lowest review in the history of irreligiosity. A I two- believe that deserves a moment of silence. <laughs> let's let Let's... Let's play some new age music. <laughs> it is a two-star review entitled Not Funny by Mims Carter. Maybe it's because we keep laughing at our own jokes. <laughs> a couple of snarky, immature young male atheists who take cheap shots at religious people and have fun accusing other snarky, immature young male atheist podcasters of being snarky, immature young male atheists. I don't think uh, I've ever accused them of being young male atheists. No, no. In, in fact, I believe our accusation is that they're 40-year-olds eating Cheetos in their mom's basement. <laughs> As with other atheist podcasts of this ilk... The only redeeming feature of their podcast is that they are atheists, and they occasionally interview someone with something to say. The podcast featuring Tall Penguin was actually informative when they let her talk. Fewer skunk dick jokes and more substance would be nice. Well, she's right. Yeah. And I apologize for the skunk dick joke. Uh, we won't have it anymore. However, some of you have been pestering us to not stop ann so i thought a good idea would be to do like one news story at the beginning maybe we'll stop reading reviews we'll do one news story at the beginning and we'll entitle it the mims carter skunk dick of the week what do you think <laughs> i believe that is probably the best idea you've ever came up with and for this week's skunk dick of the week i nominate mims carter <laughs> <laughs> what a stunning turn of events. Wow, the, shocking. The inaugural Mims Carter Skunk Kick of the Week is actually Mims Carter. That's unprecedented. You know, when when we actually held the envelope up to open it and find out who the first skunk dick was, I had no idea. I was shocked. It is truly shocking. Uh, we promise we'll have a new Skunk Dick of the Week next week. All I right. By Mims Carter. We have... For the subject of this podcast, the Nativity Story, a story near and dear to all of our hearts uh, this time of the year, um, as it uh, comes across our TV uh, waves um, every Christmas in the form of Linus uh, giving the uh, Nativity Story. <laughs> and, and that sadly, proves that it's true. I have never seen that. 
You've never seen the Peanuts Christmas no, story? No, I have no desire. I've never even seen their Halloween one either. Layton uh, is our second skunk dick of the week. For... <laughs> you can't have two skunk dicks in the same <laughs> Why week. Why not? We <laughs> because just made we it just up. set the rules. One skunk dick a week. <laughs> Five minutes only. For having absolutely no knowledge of pop culture, Layton is, uh, shares the Mims Carter skunk dick of the week this week with Mims Fuck. Carter. Hell, I don't even know who the biggins in uh, the skeptic community are, and I couldn't yeah. give two shits, so that should make me the skunk dick, not that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I've broken my research up into uh, several different areas, um, but let's let's back up a little bit first and, and mention, first and foremost, our earliest gospel, Mark, doesn't have anything about the virgin birth. It starts with Jesus' baptism. Yeah, in fact, Mark is actually missing quite a bit of the miracles that actually happen in other Gospels. Paul, our earliest Christian source, who's writing about the 50s, Mark's probably 65, 70. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul has nothing about virgin birth either. Uh, you'd think that it would be uh, foremost on their minds if this tradition is there, but it's not. As a matter of fact, only two of our four Gospels have anything about Jesus' birth. And those and Gospels not only that, are? Well, that's Matthew and Luke. And not only that, but they contradict each other in very meaningful ways. Absolutely. So let's take these contradictions in the Nativity story um, from the beginning, which would be the Annunciation, right? Uh -huh. Angels come down and announce this stuff. But again, Matthew and Luke uh, differ, right? Matthew, yes, they do. Matthew describes the Annunciation of Mary's pregnancy to Joseph, and only to Joseph. Uh, by means of an angel in a dream, and that's only after she's conceived. That's found in Matthew eighteen, uh, Matthew one eighteen to twenty one. In Luke, the angel Gabriel explains it all to Mary, right? Not Joseph. <laughs> this is this is before she is conceived. Jesus. This is in Luke one twenty six to thirty four. Now later on in Luke, Mary and Joseph are are shocked by the shepherd's tale about the heavenly host. <laughs> Now, hold on a second. Shouldn't they Mary know? Mary was shocked. Mary was shocked. She actually says in Luke one thirty four, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? So she's basically saying to this angel, yeah, What are you talking about, you crazy little son of a bitch? And the We're... funniest thing about that is Zacharias was struck dumb for doubting his wife's angel-assisted pregnancy. So why is it Mary wasn't struck dumb for doubting the angel? We'll get into that one a little bit later, unless you want to get into that right now. Um, that gets into things about the virgin birth um, that I'm not sure I want to cover right now. All right, well, let's continue down the line that you choose. Fantastic. Yeah, they're both shocked in Luke 2.18. You'd think they'd realize that if the angels had uh, explained this to them before. They're also puzzled um, by Simeon's uh, knowledge that uh, Jesus is the Messiah in Luke 2.33. Now, Luke, for some reason, goes back to the Old Testament in the births of Isaac and Samson, and he uses these as models for the Annunciation to Elizabeth and Mary. So if you go back to Genesis 17.15-21 and Judges 13.2-24, those are too long, I'm not going to read them. They're very similar. The format is very similar to Mary's um, Annunciation. Also, the beautiful Song of Mary found in Luke 
one forty six through fifty five uh where Luke has Mary you know uh, kind of acknowledging and 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 waxing poetic about her special role in history is based on the prayer of Hannah <laughs> found in one <laughs> Samuel two one through ten, who also gave birth remember through divine intervention I, I just love how they're just casting about to find anything possible to link in with exactly what they're trying to say. Well, it tells us that these aren't oral traditions. If they were oral traditions, you wouldn't have to crib stuff from the Old Testament, right? Oh, of course not. Of course not, because if it was an oral tradition, you could just shift it, and then there would be no need for it, because you could just add right. it and delete it. But right here, you can tell that this is written down, and they are going back, and these are people who are studying it and saying, well, now wait a minute. Why is it Isaiah 7.14, referring to a young woman... Uh, let's see, how do we tie that in here? Clearly, Matthew and Luke, who who are writing independent of each other, uh, and their Gospels have almost nothing in common. There are two things in common in uh, Matthew and Luke's Gospels. Everything else differs. You know what those two things are? Not off the top of my head. The Annunciations, which themselves differ, but they both have angels announcing Jesus' birth. That's one. And two is that he's born in Bethlehem. And they both get him there by different ways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I love the uh, the whole birthplace stuff. That That's fun. But we'll get into that, I'm sure. Yeah. So um, what we have probably is they they found the reference in Micah. I think it's 5-2 about um, the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. So they got to have him in Bethlehem. Um, they have... Uh, examples in the Old Testament about angelic visitations. Now, if you have angelic annunciations for Isaac and Samson, shouldn't you have one for the Savior of the, the world? Son of God. <laughs> <laughs> so you know these guys are both familiar with the Old Testament. So it seems like these aren't things that they have found in oral traditions. They're not just reporting them. Otherwise, they just report them. Um, and there are other things in the New Testament. We may do a whole podcast about New Testament plagiarism from the Old Testament. The the crucifixion is another one where it just wholesale grabs things and patches them together from the Old Testament. If they have stories, they wouldn't need to do this. Yeah, well, I, I actually think that's a good idea. And in fact, uh, we planned on getting to that, but got distracted by the podcast awards and making fun of that. Yeah, that turned out to be a really good idea. <laughs> well, the first one. <laughs> Second one was kind of boring as shit. <laughs> oh, God. Now, remember also, we'll get into this a little bit later, that if the Annunciation actually occurred, and Mary had knowledge, foreknowledge, of Jesus' special role in history, why does I know it, exactly what you're going to ask. Why does it say in Acts that uh, Jesus' brothers and sisters didn't believe in him? Why <laughs> is he not recognized by the rest of his family as God's anointed one? Yeah, why um, is he sitting inside of uh, preaching when he's older as a young boy preaching and his father comes and he's like, hey, what you doing in here? And he turns around and says, oh, you know, I'm at my father's house. I mean, why was that such a big elucidation for everybody? Uh, why do they think he's out of his mind in Mark 3.21? Um, oh, it's in John 7.5 where he says that his brothers uh, do not become any disciples during his lifetime. James apparently converted after the resurrection, but during his lifetime, apparently none of his brothers believed in him. Why, if every... Uh, week you're sitting down in front of the family saying 
hey, Jesus, <laughs> why don't you do some miracles for it? You're the anointed one. Hey, Jesus, one. Dad screwed up on making another chair. You mind stretching the leg out a little further again? <laughs> God. His hometown, birthplace. Mark. Oh, that's something of dispute. But before we go into that, I think we should go into Joseph himself and talk about the lineage of Joseph and how they couldn't even get that right. All right, if you want to skip down to the Davidic descent, we can skip do that. down? What are you talking about, skip down? How can you talk about Jesus' birth when you haven't talked about his father's uh, birth? But, of course, he's not really the father, so why does it even matter, and why is it there? Exactly. Um, <laughs> this, this is very interesting. In Mark twelve thirty-five through 37, it says, And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord, and whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. That's a piece of pre-Davidic apologetics, right? Yeah. At, at, at first... Mark preserves this piece of, of apologetics um, from a time where people don't have any concept of Jesus as the son of David or an heir, a Davidic heir to the throne. You know, uh, in Micah, it, said, it predicts that uh, the Messiah will be son of David, and so you kind of have to answer that. And what they say is, David saw Christ in heaven, and he mm -hmm. says, My Lord... Right, sit thou yeah. on my right hand and make thine enemies a footstool. The Lord said to my Lord. So Jesus was David's seed. If he was his son or his great great grandson, why would David be calling him Lord? Right? Whence yeah. is he then his son? So what it's saying is, it's a piece of apologetics that clearly didn't work. <laughs> because <laughs> Which then you is have why they had to add. You have Matthew and Luke and their genealogies. They said, you know what? Uh, screw this, right? Uh, we're going to just make up some genealogies. Well, and the, so this is, this is kind about, of a, this is a kernel of apologetics frozen in Mark. Yeah, and the greatest thing about Matthew and Luke tossing out their genealogy is you have Luke that lists 43 generations from David to Jesus, Matthew has 29, and except for David at one end, Jesus on the other, there are only three names on the list that are the same. And not only that, but Matthew states that Joseph's father was Jacob, whereas Luke 3.23 actually says his name was Heli. How do right. you correspond that? You can't. Um, you, you really can't. And that uh, leads into another question. Were the stories of the virgin birth in Matthew and Luke? originally or are that they actually is a very good question is that a later addition to correspond with what these apologetics are actually for there is an old manuscript it's called old latin manuscript b that omits luke 134 that's where mary asks how shall this be seeing i know not a man now if you take that passage out of luke and this manuscript does you have no reference to the virgin birth at all hmm it makes better sense with that passage removed because, as you had mentioned before, Zechariah in Luke one eighteen said nearly the same thing. Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. <laughs> and what happens to Zechariah? He struck he mute. He struck dumb. Yep. Why not Mary? 
Yeah, and that's a, that's an excellent question. So why is Mary so special that a woman who in this society is not on as high a plane as the males of the species are, why is it she is allowed to question an angel and say, hey, what the hell are you talking about? Whereas Zacharias, a man of great repute, is struck dumb. What's the difference here? Furthermore, the skepticism doesn't make sense. Even in the context, Mary's skepticism doesn't make sense. She's betrothed to Joseph. And all the angel says is, you're going to conceive and bear a son. And she says, how is that possible, seeing that I've not known a man? Oh, gee, Mary, I don't know. What happens after you get married? Also, I'd like to point out that uh, in the oldest surviving copy of, of the Syriac version of the Gospel of Matthew, it's called the Sinaitic Palimpsest, uh, it has, uh, you know how the, the addition of the genealogies, right? Both of them are kind of clumsy when it comes to uh, Jesus, right? Because they always are saying the male begat this male, this male begat yeah. this male. Until you actually get to uh, Matthew one sixteen, where it says, Jacob is the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. That's pretty clumsy, right? Yep. And uh, Luke 3.23, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Uh, so you can see those things seem like they've been clumsily inserted by later scribes into the text. But the oldest surviving copy of the Gospel of Matthew, the Syriac version, um, has this line. Jacob begat Joseph. Joseph, to whom was espoused Mary the Virgin, begat Jesus, who is called Christ. That's from the late 4th century, and that's the Gospel of Matthew without the virgin birth, stating directly that Joseph is a father of Jesus. Yeah, well, oh, that's that is a great great bit of information that I discovered. You know, um I had heard that some people believed that Mary was a virgin throughout her entire life. And uh I mean, I I'd, I'd heard this while traveling through Europe a lot. I just kind of discounted it, just didn't even pay any attention to it. But if people actually pay attention, those people who believe this, in Matthew 125 it says and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, which basically means that that Joseph was pounding that flesh afterwards. Well, it doesn't quite mean that. Um, it, it's it's it puts a minimum, but it doesn't actually say that at that point then he knew her, right? It just says he didn't know her until she had a firstborn son, and you could say, and he didn't know her afterwards. <laughs> the, well, that's true, but there are many, many references to Jesus' brothers and sisters. So was uh, was she a virgin, and then Joseph just decided, eh, I had to keep you, so I'm going around to other women? I can't believe you're making me defend this stupidity. <laughs> the, the Catholic, the common Catholic idea, and this, this arises from the um, over-fascination uh, with sexual intercourse in the second century. Uh, the idea was that Mary was a perpetual virgin. Now, later on, uh, in Mark, Mark never mentions Joseph at all. Uh, the later appearances of Mary in the other Gospels is alone. She comes alone, 
Uh, even in, in Mark, she comes alone to, to seize Jesus because she thinks he's out of the, her mind. She comes with Jesus' brothers and sisters. Um, so th the idea is that Joseph died. And so if you work backward from that, the idea that the Catholics came up with, the orthodoxy, is that Joseph was an old man when he married Mary. And this is actually, I think, in the Proto-Evangelium of James, explicit. <laughs> he's an old man, and he already has children that he brings into the marriage. So that they, these are stepbrothers and sisters of Jesus. They didn't come through Mary's vagina. I, I love that's that you have the, to defend that. That's... <laughs> That's the thinking for the perpetual virginity of Mary, and it just derives from this, oh my God, no way could she have ever had sex. Yeah. It, this idiotic idea. Well, it's very idiotic, and I would like to point out that, uh, that Joseph didn't start pounding the flesh until after she brought forth the firstborn son. My question is, why wasn't he tapping the ass before she started getting large? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how long their betrothal was. <laughs> well, it had to she be quick have, because if she walks up a, and says, I'm pregnant, he can stone her on their dad's doorstep. It may have been a shotgun wedding. And as a matter of fact, that's what the Jews thought um, in the, the later um, Talmud, I think. They, there's a tradition that Jesus was the illegitimate son of a Roman soldier, Pandera, which in Roman or Latin means panther, right? Because they're the, these legions, these Roman legionnaires. Yeah. So he's the illegitimate son of Pandera. And she just made up this story uh, about the angel to, to pull one over on Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> now, if there were rules back in society, even today, where if you were found not to be a virgin, that you would be stoned to death, I I'm pretty sure I would make up some implausible story like this myself. Well, that story's more plausible than, than um, God coming down and inseminating Mary virginally. Um, well, but God inseminates me on a nightly basis. I don't know how you can call it implausible. It seems to me that a better uh, understanding of this would be that uh, it's just a myth. Because the earliest <laughs> sources don't have it. Uh, Paul, how could Paul fail to mention a virgin birth? How could Mark fail to mention? Our latest source, John, doesn't have it. And he specifically refutes it. Well, uh, you're, he has you're preaching to the choir at this point because my whole thought on it is you have Greek heroes, any man who has done great deeds like Alexander the Great, Augustus, Pythagoras, they were all of a sudden deemed as having a human woman for a mother and a god as the father. Hmm, I wonder where this story came from. Not only that, but when we get to Herod's slaughter of the innocents, right, where he's yep. going through and killing all the children under two, male children under two in Bethlehem. Let me list you the names of um, people who uh, have all escaped the designs of, of evil kings, right, uh, yeah. when they were babies, right, thanks to divine providence. <laughs> Romulus and Remus, Oedipus, Perseus, Cyrus the Great, Caesar Augustus, Zoroaster, Abraham, <laughs> Moses, and the god Krishna. <laughs> <laughs> All hail Krishna. This is not unprecedented. No, no. It, not only is it not precedented, but we've already proven that in the Bible they plagiarize just about everything they can find. So, yeah. Uh, all right, let's go back to um, the Bethlehem story, uh, since you keep dragging me out of my outline here and probably making well, it less interesting to listen to. Perhaps if we would have got together and put together our own outlines, maybe we wouldn't have to. 
Perhaps if someone had a mode of transportation, he could have come over here. Uh, my mode of transportation is a motorcycle, and it's winter. <laughs> Let's talk about the star. Well, hold on a second, Charlie. Now, before we actually get into that, we need to break for our commercial, and this week it is brought to you by the makers of Mangina. Tired of fits of internet rage? What's this? Make fun of my favorite podcast, will you? Oh, you jerks will taste my wrath in the form of a strongly worded email. Do you often find yourself enraged by minor disagreements with people whose entire relationship with you exists only over electronic media? That email did not seem to have the desired effect. Well, we'll see how they like the shock of my minimally starred review. Wait, don't submit that yet. I, I meant to take off one more star. Are you fired up by lack of internet attention? They still haven't responded to my scathing yet thoroughly spell-checked three-star review. That really does it. I'm going to start an e-petition. Well... Take your lips off your mom's tits and sell your Sailor Moon collections. I have a product for you. Bonerderm Skin Thickening Cream. Eight applications, 14 times a day, hardens your skin while it toughens you up. Let's see if it works. Hey, internet nerd. Do you realize that just because we make fun of your favorite podcasts, that doesn't mean we're making fun of you? Really? That makes me feel a lot better, actually. Nah. We're making fun of you, too. <laughs> wow. I don't feel like killing myself. Thanks, Bonerderm. Bonerderm. Harden that skin, elongate your patience, and rub out internet rage. Use only as directed. Side effects may include painful erections, priapism, decreased penile circulation, severing of umbilical cord, homoerotic fantasies, and an inability to sleep while someone on the internet disagrees with you. Wow, what what could that have been referencing? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I think I should buy that for my family for this year. All right, getting back to uh, the topic before I was so rudely interrupted. Hey, that's what I do. All right, so the star, right? <laughs> Matthew has flying all over the sky, apparently. Um, these wise <laughs> men visit from the east. And by the way, I think probably everyone knows this, but no one knows how many wise men there were. No. That's a later tradition, given the amount of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, um, which also happen to be the same gifts given uh, to uh, Mithras <laughs> by, the, by his own wise men. Um, all right, back to the star. The star's flying all around the sky, right? Guess where, guess where Matthew probably got this from? Isaiah. Noah. Old Testament. Yeah, you do. Old Testament. Well, they always plagiarize from the Old Testament. <clears throat> Isaiah 60, 1 through 9. Nations shall march toward your light and their kings to your sunrise. They shall come from Sheba. They shall bring gold and frankincense. <laughs> nice. Huh. Let's see. I think they were trying to tie something in there. I'm just not sure what. So this passage also refers to camels, right? So that's why... You get later on, even though it doesn't say in the New Testament text that the uh, wise men are 
riding on camels to go see Christ. <laughs> you know what my dad told me about uh, about the star of Jesus when I was I a want, kid? Do I he said this? God was so knowledgeable and powerful that he actually timed perfectly a supernova out in the universe so that it could guide the wise men to Bethlehem and Jesus. Now, you as a, as a fellow scientist, uh, what do you see wrong with that? I am not going to comment on that out of respect for your father. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> well, if this were true, then the supernova would have been mentioned by Pliny the Elder, it would have been mentioned by the Chinese, by the Egyptians, and it isn't anywhere. No. So apparently this was a local phenomenon, perhaps a UFO, that hovered around the sky and drove the wise men straight from Herod's palace in Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which is a whopping eight kilometers away. <laughs> well, you, you know... Stars are difficult to see in the big city, so when they were down in the little city, they could see it. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. How about the story of the manger? You know what a manger is? Uh, I've always been told it's where animals feed off of. That's it. It's usually depicted as a little crib, right? Yeah. Um, and it, usually it looks like this little rocking thing made of wood. Um, but mangers typically... Um, were positioned inside of caves. This is why the the idea that Jesus was born in a cave, that's how that arose from. Hmm. Um, in, in the second century, Justin Martyr stated that Jesus had been born in a cave outside the town. The Proto-Evangelium of James, where Mary gives birth to this gaseous cloud that coalesces into Jesus so her hymen can remain intact. <laughs> that would happen in a cave. Uh, the Church of the Nativity, um, built by uh, St. Helena, uh, contains the cave manger site traditionally um, thought of as the birthplace of Jesus. It's just kind of like this hole dug inside the cave. <laughs> Not yeah, a crib. That's, that's what I do when I give birth to the God of the universe. I stick him in a feeding trough. Yeah, you kind of uh, push aside the corn and the apples and <laughs> stick your baby in there. Excuse me, goat. Get your head out of the manger. we got to lay our baby down. <laughs> How about Stop the nibbling at his niblets? How about the birthday of Jesus, December twenty fifth? Right? Do you know mm. when December twenty fifth was first hailed as the birth date of Jesus? I don't know when, but uh, I the know the earliest. The earliest I've ever been able to find is the year two hundred from Hippolytus of Rome, two twenty one solstice. Yeah, two twenty one Sextus Julius Africanus. Um, and I think even later, it was finally decided to celebrate, I think, in the year 330 under Constantine. Doesn't it strike you as odd that in the first 200 years, nobody cares what day Jesus was born? <laughs> <laughs> well, that just goes to prove that the Jehovah's Witnesses are right and that birthdays don't matter. That's true. And you're right. It was uh, December 25th was a winter solstice, according to the old Julian calendar. Um, and it was the birth date of... Mithra, uh, Horus, uh, Adonis, <laughs> um, a, a, a bunch of other kind of sun gods. And they just kind of co-opted it for Jesus. Because <laughs> they were celebrating, I think, the eighth day of Saturnalia. I think it was called Brumalia on that day. It was kind of the biggest day of that pagan festival. And they just kind of co-opted it into uh, Christianity. 
Well, we, we've already seen when we discussed uh, Sawain or Sawin or however you pronounce it and how uh, the Christians try to incorporate the pagans to uh, get their celebrations out of the way and get them to really believe in the one true God. Right. Mithra. <laughs> All hail Mithra. All right. As birth year we have touched on briefly in our um, Did Jesus Exist podcast. Let's briefly go over that again, because Matthew claims that the birth of Jesus occurred during the reign of Herod the Great. Now, interesting Which, enough, Luke also <laughs> says yeah. that the, the birth happened during Herod's reign. The exact ones are Matthew 2.1 and Luke 1.5. Now, there's a small problem with this, because uh, when did Herod the Great die? That would be in 4 BC. Why? Yes, it would. However, Luke 2.1 has a different announcement for when Jesus was born, and that was uh, after 6 CE. So what was that, perchance? That's the census of Quirinius. Now that, we know that's in 6 CE. Do you know how we know that? Uh, because it's 10 years after King Herod's death. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be because of Josephus? Josephus. Josephus yeah. nails it down as 6. And more interesting is that um, they could not have taxed the Jews before 6 AD, or 6 of the Common Era, because we know from Josephus that there was a massive revolt <laughs> in 6 AD <laughs> when Quirinius decided to institute taxes, because they thought this was absolutely ludicrous, uh, and they revolted under this um, Jewish prophet, I guess, instigator, uh, and uh, it resulted in, unsurprisingly, thousands of Jewish crucifixions <laughs> in Galilee. Before that time, um, it was not under the direct control of Rome. It was a client state under the puppet king Herod the Great. Though after 6, um, it was kind of annexed, and uh, Quirinius was the Roman governor of Syria, and he went ahead and taxed him, and, and uh, it's impossible for them to have taxed earlier than that, otherwise it wouldn't have been such a massive uprising. Well, to build off this particular census, where exactly did Joseph and Mary live before the birth of Jesus? Depends on which gospel you read. Um, <laughs> exactly Mark, my point. Mark uh, says he comes from Nazareth. You know, that whole story about Jesus um, going back into his hometown and them not appreciating him, and he says a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. It's his Nazareth. <laughs> That's where that takes place. <laughs> well, actually, uh, what you have is you have Luke 2, 1 through 7, which states that they lived in Nazareth and traveled to Bethlehem because of a census. And then in Matthew 2, 1 through 2, 11, 22, and 23, they lived in a house of, in Bethlehem, moved to Nazareth after returning from Egypt. Yes, why did they move to Egypt? Well, that was to run away from Herod. Yeah, Herod's slaughter of the innocent, so let's go over that. Oh, good, <laughs> I've been looking forward to this one. So apparently the wise men in Matthew uh, walk over to Herod, and they're smart enough apparently to know about the uh, coming Messiah of the Jews. And they're, <laughs> since they're Persian, I don't know why they care. But they're smart enough to know that, but they're not Ooh, smart actually, enough... Actually, before we go into that... Let's let's talk about Micah. They're not smart enough to to know about Micah five two, which pinpoints it in Bethlehem, pinpoints the birth in Bethlehem. Therefore, they have to go to Herod, right? Ask him, you know, yeah. where would this happen? <laughs> and Herod well, says, I don't know, <laughs> but tell me when you find him. 
So, um, Herod, uh, alerted by the wise men, decides to slaughter all of the children, two and under, uh, in Bethlehem. And, and you know, that this idea rings true, because in Josephus we have Herod slaughtering his wives, uh, his children, any of the other uh, Hasmonean heirs, and any rival claimants to his throne. This is uh, Josephus thinks that he's absolutely horrible, right? Yeah. Um, but Josephus says absolutely nothing about the slaughter of the innocents. How could <laughs> how could Josephus miss this? He hated Herod. He details in excruciating uh, detail all the bad things Herod does, but he misses the slaughter of the entire town. <laughs> well, By that's, the that's way, just something that just doesn't matter. Killing all the the um, innocent children of a town is a horrible thing, don't you think? I, I I would think that would rate about as high as kicking a puppy. Absolutely monstrous, and I think every ch- Christian would agree with me that this Herod's order to slaughter the innocents is absolutely monstrous. One of the worst things in the Bible. Do you know about <laughs> two other leaders who issued the exact same order? Moses? Uh-huh. <laughs> In Numbers thirty-one seventeen through eighteen, and hmm. Joshua six twenty-one through twenty-four. Yeah, but leave the virgins. Isn't that great? Killing all the women, young and old, in a city. And by the way, God Himself saying, "Massacre everyone in Canaan." But somehow, <laughs> somehow that gets you know. Oh, oh yeah, it Herod's horrible. Over. Herod's Herod. horrible. He's yeah. a monster. What a terrible person killing children. Well, well, but forget wait, wait, wait. about it when Moses says it. Let, let's use a mathematical equation. If Herod is a dick, that means God is a dick. <laughs> Herod God, equals God. God equals Moses equals Herod equals yeah. dick. <laughs> <laughs> Big furry dick, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, um... Not only is this not mentioned in any other source, just like the census, which, again, we've covered, but it's ridiculous on its face. You don't count people in towns where they don't live. You t- you count them in towns where they live so you can tax them. And again, they couldn't be taxed until at least 6 AD, 10 years after Christ was supposedly born, because <laughs> they didn't become a province of Rome until that time. And even then they were writing against the taxes. They were absolutely outraged. (laughs) (laughs) Are are you telling me that people just didn't meekly go around and prepare to be taxed? What a surprise. It's amazing. It was, you know, they have to tithe already, right? 10% of their income. And so this was kind of uh, uh, horrible. Um, And plus, they're they're paying this pagan emperor, and it it was a... Anyway, <laughs> every time you screw with Rome, there are thousands of crucifixions. Uh, <laughs> you think Rome's trying to send a message? <laughs> also, if, as in Matthew, Jesus immediately, with his family, flees to Egypt for several years, how do you account for Luke's uh, returning to Nazareth immediately <laughs> and not going into Egypt? How does Luke not know? Did they go to Egypt? I'll tell you why, because again, Matthew's cribbing from the Old Testament. Hosea 11.1, out of Egypt I have called my son. He just sticks that shit in there so he can say it fulfilled a prophecy, even though it totally doesn't say anything about Jesus or any future thing. It's talking about Israel. Yeah, yeah, it's actually talking about the Hebrew exodus from Egypt and has nothing to do with Jesus. It's Hosea 11.1. 
Yep. So Matthew just sticks that in there. It's again, it's a post diction, right? Oh, let's see. I'll just grab that, and then I'll make up a story to fulfill it. It's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, way to go, Matthew two fourteen. Why don't we pay attention to Luke two thirty nine, where he goes directly to Nazareth? So um, we've covered we've covered quite a bit. Let's cover the actual virgin birth itself. You've talked a little bit about this, about you know where do they get it from. Of course, right? Um, yeah. It's from pagan sources. And remember, um, after about 330, uh, the Jewish people were under the great Macedonian Empire of Alexander the Great. After Alexander the Great died, I think around 325, it was split up into fragments by his generals. And Judea and Israel, the Palestine area, fell under the control of the Seleucids. Um, and that happened all the way up until, I believe, Antiochus IV in the 160s BC instituted this program where he wanted to eliminate essentially the Jewish religion in favor of Hellenism. So he desecrated the temple, <laughs> he put his own <laughs> idol in the Holy of Holies. <laughs> Amazing how God allows this to happen. Yeah, um, and didn't chop off his head in the palms of the idol. He outlaws uh, Jewish practices, including circumcision, and under penalty of death, you cannot own a copy of the Jewish scriptures. Hmm. This led to the Maccabean Revolt. So uh, this family of, I think, Mattathias, uh, he's preaching against Antiochus IV. Uh, his sons, um, Judas Maccabeus, uh, I believe among them, Judah the Hammer, uh, led this massive revolt, and actually for a brief period, about 100 years, 130 years, uh, they succeed in throwing off foreign influence, and they uh, institute their own kings. And this is where the Hasmonean dynasty begins. Now, this ties in a little bit to the apologetics of Mark, uh, because he probably got it from the Hasmoneans. Now remember, they finally throw off foreign uh, dominion, and they're looking for this Messiah. Well, the Maccabees are of the Levite tribe. They're not of Davidic descent. They're not even of David's tribe of Judah. <laughs> they're Levites, the priestly tribe. So what do they do? They make up their own scripture saying, Blessed be Levi, <laughs> and all the kings shall bow unto Levi. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I love so how you they can, do that stuff. You can see that that perhaps... The Hasmoneans would have used that same thing about David and the footstool and the Lord said to my Lord um, as kind of an, an apologetic. Yeah, You could see that maybe Mark is grabbing this, he's kind of crystallizing this apologetic, because there's no other reason for that to be in Mark, other than to explain why Jesus didn't descend from David. And it's the same in John. John has no Davidic descent. In John 7, uh, this is John seven forty one. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't they say, what are you kidding? Haven't you read Matthew and Luke? <laughs> look, at the, look at the genealogy, of course he comes from. I mean, it's clear that we see a clear strain of Christian thought where they have to feel like they have to apologize or defend the fact that Jesus did not come from David. Yeah, they have to tie it in somehow in order to make it make sense to all these people who actually know what they're talking about. Later on, 
In John 7:50, it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. <laughs> so nowhere in there does John correct uh, anyone's misconceptions on this stuff. Well, of course, there's no correcting it because they were right. That's what their scriptures said, and that's what they were expecting. This was the word of God, so why is it it wasn't fitting? All right, so you, you've you discussed what what you find interesting about, uh, about the birth. Now, my favorite thing about the actual birth of Jesus is pertaining to Mary, and this comes from Luke 2.22, where it says, And when the days of her purification, or according to the law of Moses, were accomplished. So my question is, uh, Mary, who is a virgin, and just given birth to a god, has to be purified. How does that make any sense? Anytime I think they bleed out of the vagina, <laughs> they have to be purified. <laughs> well, I realize that, but we're talking God just climbed out of her orifice, and you're telling me someone has to go in there and purify it afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> a baby god. He's Remember, he's completely human and completely divine. Therefore, she has to be completely purified. Well, all right. Well, here's a, a bit of trivia for you. Was Jesus circumcised? Boy, he'd have to be. Maybe he was born circumcised. Nope. Sorry. They circumcised him. Luke 2.21, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus. Now, uh, my question to you is, uh, what do you think happened with that piece of uh, Jesus' penis? It became a sacred relic that people worshipped throughout the centuries. Yes, it did. I knew it! <laughs> <laughs> In fact, it found its way into Calcutta. And uh, this uh, small town uh, just north of Rome... Actually, uh, they were preparing in 1983 for their annual procession to honor Jesus's penis, and uh, <laughs> the uh, the parish priest had to walk out and state, "This year, the holy relic will not be exposed to the devotion of the faithful. It has vanished. Sacrilegious thieves have taken it from my home." Or so, uh, God has reco recuperated his penis. <laughs> He's sewn it back on. Yes. It's a miracle. Uh, he he might want to get a little bit of Vaseline or lotion because it could be a little chapped. <laughs> I mean, we're talking hundreds of years here. Relics were big business in the Middle Ages. Um, yes. Suddenly you have you know pieces of the one true cross. You got uh, cloths. You get the Shroud of Turin. Uh, it's dated back to the Middle Ages. You've got all kinds of stuff. Thorns. Um, you got fingers of saints. Uh, all these relics became huge business. It's amazing uh, to me that you know uh, they passed the DNA tests that were available back then, and everyone knew for certain that that was a foreskin of Jesus. Well, knowing it's the foreskin of Jesus is one thing, and knowing that, what exactly would you stick it in to give it the highest regard that it deserved? F uh, formaldehyde in a jar. <laughs> Close. This priest kept it in a shoebox at the back of his wardrobe that, and somehow got found and stolen. That totally makes sense. You have a, the only <laughs> remaining <laughs> fleshly piece of our one true Lord and Savior, and you place it in a shoebox. 
and stick it in the back of your wardrobe to hide it. <laughs> That's wonderful. Oh, hey, uh, I found this interesting uh, bit on uh, the genealogy question as well. All in, right. in Matthew one eleven, we read uh, he's going down. You know, Jesus is this. Jesus is, or you know, this guy begat that. Be guy begat that. Blah blah blah. It says, uh, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon, um, th- those were in the line, right, of Jesus. Direct, Jesus is a direct descendant of Jeconiah. Unfortunately, in Jeremiah 22.30, it says, Is this man Jehoiakim, who's Jeconiah, a despised, <laughs> broken pot, an object no one wants? Why will he and his children be hurled out, cast into a land they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper, none will sit on the throne of David or rule any more in Judah. That's a problem. (laughs) Right there the line breaks, and Matthew's genealogy cannot be correct. Well, see, there's all sorts of stealing. I mean, there's so much in this that we can't, possibly cover. I mean, take a look at at Matthew 2.17 and 2.18, where you've got Matthew trying to link Herod's slaughter as a fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy, and he's talking about Jeremiah 31.15, and uh, basically, if you read that, it has absolutely nothing to do with Jesus and refers to the Babylonian captivity and that you discover if you continue and read 16 and 17. And, uh, I I mean, there's a lot, actually, in this story that we can't cover just because of time. And and Matthew was not a very careful reader of either the Septuagint or the Old Testament, uh, as is clear in, in what we've already said. But one further example is uh, in Matthew 21, 2 through 7, he has Jesus getting on a colt and a donkey <laughs> to ride into town. Now, That's Mark, my favorite. He's straddling both. Mark and Luke have the colt only, right? Um, but Matthew has them both, and that's because, again, this is cribbed from the Old Testament, Zechariah 9, 9. Uh, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, uh, <laughs> now, Mark and Luke get it right, because this is just Hebrew parallelism, right? They yeah. emphasize something by repeating it. But Matthew, for some reason, he's like, Pat Robertson, right, or Kent Hovind, he reads it literally. He has Jesus striding atop both a donkey and a colt, because that's what Zechariah literally says. Not the sharpest tool in the shed. Well, that would explain why so many people were paying attention to Jesus. They're looking at him going, why the hell is he riding both those animals? And Jesus is going, I'm just fulfilling the scriptures, people. I didn't want to do it. I was forced to. (laughs) Read your Torah. God, my groin hurts. <laughs> I pulled my hammy. Oh, ridiculous. Well, we could go on and on and on, um, but I think that is about, I think that about wraps it up, don't you? You got anything else? No, no. I mean, there's a couple other passages, but uh, they're minor, and people can research this for themselves. So I think we should close by saying, Merry Karishna and all a good night. How about um, Meli Kalikimaka? Yeah. <laughs>
Dude, I I lived in Hawaii and I got way too much of that. God bless us, everyone. Ah, yes. God with his dickish ways bless us, everyone. <laughs> 